as a business owner, you just have to like know what you're good at. I know you talk a lot about this, like know what you're good at, know what you like to do, and then like just do those things. Hey, welcome to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast, the number one show for passionate physical therapists looking to start and grow an even more successful cash-based physical therapy business. I'm your host, Aaron LeBauer. Thanks for spending time with me today. And before we get to the episode, real quick, if you're new to the show or haven't picked up your Cash PT checklist yet, then you're definitely missing out. This checklist lays out all the steps you need to start a cash-based physical therapy business. If you want me to send that to you, then just text Cash PT that's C-A-S-H-P-T to the number 444-999 and you'll get this essential checklist. Now on to the show. Welcome back to the Cash PT Lunch Hour podcast. Today I got another special episode. I mean, if they're all special episodes, there's another special one. Um, I've got uh, Nicole Cozine on the podcast today. She is a pelvic health therapist, cash-based therapist from Orange County. Um, and she, when she did, uh, her, her business is the pelvic sanity and she's um, written a book and she's crushing it in business. And I want to make sure she's on the show so, um, that you guys can get fired up too. So Nicole, welcome so much uh, for joining the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Aaron. I'm super excited to be here and to talk with you today. Awesome. So, um, let's start off with a little bit about who you are. So how just, how long have you been a PT? How long have you, like, did you know you wanted to own a business initially? And (laughs) yeah, so good question. So, okay. So I graduated from physical therapy school in 2006. So I've been a PT for about 13 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I graduated from Chapman university, which is in orange, orange, California. Um, and the answer to, first of all, I didn't even want to be a pelvic PT, much less own a business. Um, so the fact that I'm here today running a cash-based practice is actually kind of funny. Um, so I started out to wanting to do just orthopedics and just sports. I come from a basketball background. I currently still referee NCAA women's basketball. Like I am a sports gal all through and through, Mm -hmm. but, um, I was exposed to pelvic physical therapy in PT school very briefly. And it's like, if you look back now at like PT school for me, there's so many little things that fell into place that sort of was really leading me to the pelvic health field. Um, I had a couple of of clinical instructors that did pelvic PT very differently. One person only did external treatment. One person only did internal treatment. But the fact even back then that I even had clinical instructors that were doing pelvic health was weird um, because it wasn't that big of a field back then. Um, And so, yeah, so then I graduated. I got my first job at a hospital outpatient clinic, which um, I was like, I just want to do outpatient. Um, and so, yeah. And then they kept saying like, oh, well, I see you have all this pelvic health experience. And I was like, well, not really. <laughs> and they were like, do you want to start the pelvic health program here? And I was like, absolutely not. I don't want to specialize that soon because I was scared to specialize to get into such a niche practice so soon out of PT school. Well, one thing led to another long, long, long story yeah. short is I ended up going to Africa. Um, 
based on the, on the Hogue Hospital's dime and got into pelvic health right after that and um, met Jesse, who's like the whitest dude I know. Um, I met him in, in Africa. who's my husband who now runs the business with me. And yeah, so that's, and then I was sort of all in with pelvic PT pretty much about six months after that. So. Wow. Um, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, cool. So I love the, I love the short story and I want to dig into a couple of pieces real quick for people. Yeah. <laughs> so like, were you just like playing basketball in high school and a little bit in college and you're like, yeah, maybe I want to work with athletes. I mean, what, like why PT? Oh, right. So, I mean, I tore my ACL, um, twice. So I've done it. I did it when I was 13 years old. Um, mm-hmm. and what, and I actually was um, treated by a person who had broken off from their clinic and started their own, and at that time, insurance-based practice, right? Because mm-hmm. that was in the mid-90s when insurance-based practices were just uh, rocking and rolling. And so um, I just was, I always worked for them. I worked for them all through high school and when I was back in the summers in college, um, and I kept in contact with them um, a lot. And so that's sort of what initially started to me into physical therapy in general, and then um, yeah, so that, that's, and then I tore my ACL in PT mm-hmm. school also, uh, yeah. the other side. <laughs> so I, yeah, playing basketball that time. And then that's how I actually got into officiating was that I realized in PT school, I almost couldn't finish a clinical rotation mm-hmm. because I had torn my ACL at lunchtime with, with the people that I was working with at then. And so I was like, oh shoot, like if I can't, work like we have we have manual based jobs and mm-hmm. even working in a hospital where you have to like balance people and whatever else mm-hmm. you're doing like um gosh like that was a big wake up call like oh man i can't play as much as i wanted to um and so i that's when i took up officiating so oh. that's sort of that whole awesome um, so yeah, but like, that's how I got into PT was was because I was yeah. a patient myself, but twice with pretty devastating injuries, especially at that time in my life. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of how I got into that. Cool. So when you got out of PT school and you graduated, um, mm-hmm. so you were refereeing basketball at that time too. Just, uh, I started like right after PT school. Oh, I wish it was like a side, a side yeah. thing, just because you a, a side hustle, that. right? A side hustle. Yeah. Totally. So you went and got a job, and mm-hmm. was it what you expected? It, you know what, honestly, I feel like it was exactly what I expected in terms of getting the amount. It was a hospital-based program, right? So I was an outpatient, but that means I got to treat neuro and ortho and wound care. And we had to do hospital um, on the weekends, which sucked at the time. But I can look back at that now. And for that short time that I did it, I learned a ton. Um, The really cool thing about Um, the hospital that I worked at at that time was that they did do 45 minute treatment sessions. So I have had the luxury of always working in a place that at least had 45 minute treatment sessions or more. Mm -hmm. So I was never burned out from a, from a volume perspective. Um, What I didn't expect was the amount of red tape and bureaucracy and all of that corporate BS that I just, my, my brain doesn't comprehend. I'm not necessarily a, like an anti person, but mm-hmm. man, if you, something doesn't make sense or it's super inefficient, I get super irritated. And so when I was starting to run the pelvic health program there, I, it took me, it took me seriously, no joke, like nine months to change a form to, for public PTs to be documenting in a different way. 
Um, and that just like blows my mind. They, I couldn't do a, a community education program because you had to ask all these different departments. And, and so that was where I really started to feel like, gosh, the way I feel like pelvic PT should be community-based and, and um, administered was really not, I couldn't, I knew I couldn't do it there. And, mm-hmm. and, and being a, a hospital employee was awesome for a lot of reasons. There are pros and cons to, to that type of, of situation. And I worked there for five years. And, but then I just, at the end of the day, I started to become really unhappy and frustrated um, more than I was excited to treat patients. Um, yeah. Mostly because of all of the other patient care things other than patient care. Yeah. So it wasn't like you were limited in how you're treating patients. It was like you're being asked and trying to run and improve programs and you're just hitting roadblocks the whole way through. Roadblocks the whole way. And like just a bunch of dumb, just dumb stuff. Like that I have to ask this person and then, and then it's like, uh, it was very hierarchical, right? So I couldn't do what I wanted to do unless I got the medical director of this program to do it. And I was like, that guy doesn't know shit about pelvic physical therapy. Like, why do I have to present with him? I want to present by myself. You know, I need to teach him a thing or two. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, so that's the kind of stuff where I just started to feel really, I was coming home and I was dating Jesse at the time. And he kept seeing me just being so frustrated um, at that whole system. And he was like, you know, you, you're going to either have to shut off your care button or you're going to have to move on. And, and at that time, I was lucky enough to get hooked up with another pelvic PT um, who had been in the field for even longer than I had been and that she was starting her own um, out-of-network practice mm-hmm. um, and she was leaving a hospital too. So we sort of joined, I, I followed her about six months after. So I was her first employee okay. um, at her out of network practice. So. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So it sounds like you're someone that doesn't do really good with the chain of command. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know, you try, try. And I think ultimately, ultimately, you know, you asked at the very beginning, like, did you want to start your own business? And mm-hmm. no, absolutely not. But I think that one of the things that's most important for us as, as entrepreneurs and stuff is to really know ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and no matter how much I was scared at, I don't want to do the business stuff that doesn't do it for me. I don't get excited about metrics and stuff. I want to treat patients, but you also, I also knew myself well enough yeah. to know that, I don't do well with chain of command, even mm-hmm. in the best of scenarios. Um, I, I, it just, it just doesn't do it for me. It's like, I have a lot of opinions about how I think things should be. And, and I want, and I'm a doer. So it's mm-hmm. like, if there's any, any like friction with how things should get implemented or an inefficiency in the system, then I start getting really irritated and right. it's, and it's driven me to be able to do my own stuff. We, and we've grown as a business pretty fast, but, but, um, but yeah, that I, you just have to know yourself. And I knew that more than I knew that I didn't want to do business. If that makes sense. Yeah. How did you know that? Like when, how'd you figure that out about yourself? Oh gosh. I don't know. I feel like I've always been a little bit like that. My parents have, have raised a pretty strong couple strong females mm-hmm. in, um, in our family. So I just feel like I've always been pretty like confident in my abilities and everything like that, except for when it came to actually taking the leap to starting your own practice. Like that's, that's, it's a scary time, you know? And I think, 
um, that's when Jesse actually helped me a ton because he comes from an entrepreneurial family. Mm -hmm. So his mom is like a biomedical engineer, MD, PhD, blah, blah, but she's always been an entrepreneur. Um, so he kind of knew no, no difference. So he was like, why don't you just start your own gig? And I was like, no, no, no. Let me try to be the clinical director. I'm going to be the best clinical director there is. And then, you know, you just, I just kept getting, you know, shot down with a bunch of things. And so, yeah, so he really helped me push to see like, yes, you can do this. Mm -hmm. I can, I can help you, which, which was helpful to have that support. That's Um, awesome. Did you ever get in trouble? Did you ever get in trouble for, you know, pushing your ideas or not following the right order, you know, um, in trouble, it? not really in trouble, trouble, but like, I did. People, <laughs> well, yeah, but like people would always like, it was always like at the meetings and stuff, they would be like whispering in my ear, Nicole, make sure, can you say something about this? Can you? And I would always be the one raising my hand being like, okay, so here's where the problem is with A, B, and C. Um, But you know what, though, I do feel like I wasn't ever a, um, just a a blanket complainer. Like there was always thought behind. So I was Mm -hmm. always constantly thinking about how can this process be better? What can we actually do to make it to make it work more efficiently? What would that mean for this business? I mean, I was a really good little employee. Cause I was pretending like I was the business owner. I think that's why I was getting so frustrated. Right. right? It's like, I feel like we should do it like this. And because of all these things that I stayed up like 10 hours last night thinking about for you, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and then, so finally Jesse was just like, well, if you're going to be like working so hard for someone else, why don't you work so hard yeah. for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm trying to uncover is like, what's the thought process of like successful people? And, it, and I know like <clears throat> I've been in the same situations before where I was the only one who spoke up about some, someone stealing our tips at the spa I worked at, mm-hmm. you know, like, but was it, were you willing to speak up because you didn't feel like you had anything to lose or was it just something else driving you that you're like, all right, I'm going to speak up for everybody else and make this problem known and get it in front of the right people. Yeah. I guess I've never just had, I've never had a problem being that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that comes honestly a lot from like just confidence in yourself. I'm like, I don't give two shits if you think that I am being a, you know, lame or a bitch or whatever. It's just like, I just feel like we need to fix a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's a problem here. Everyone's mad and we need to fix it. And here's my solution based on the system that we're working in. Like, let's, let's do it. Let's go, you know? Um, and then, but then when that doesn't happen, that's when I start to get really frustrated. I don't mind problem problem solver. Yeah. We, we run into them every day, (laughs) every hour, you know? So it's like now, it's almost like weird if there's not a problem we have to solve right now. Right? It's like if everything's just running really smoothly, I was like, is that like, what's happening? It's something yeah. needs to happen. Yeah. You know, I always tell people, I was like, look, my job's not to solve all your problems. It's to give you better problems. It's like, right. and then totally. Solve the better problems. Right. Exactly. Um, so what was the, what was the pivotal point at which you became a pelvic PT? Like, what is it? Cause a lot of people like, just like you said, like, I don't even want to, you know, I don't even know why I'm here at PT. I don't even want to, go there. I don't even want to like, it's, it, it's hard conversations for some people. And it's just like what you said. It's like, so what's the, what's the pivotal point at which you went from being like, Hey, I'm going to go, you know, work with, you know, basketball players the rest of my life. <laughs> to <laughs> like, like everyone. To like, I'm going to help gonna you go, not pee. 
Yeah, I'm gonna go help people with um, yeah. sex and, and all Things the other sex stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was actually interesting. So I at Hogue uh, Hospital, which is a hospital in Orange County. So I was there. They basically sent me to a bunch of continuing education courses in pelvic PT right away, and then I did a really extensive mentorship program right away. So I was sort of in it pretty fast, um, and I was doing half ortho and half pelvic at the same time. And there was, there was honestly one pivotal day where I was treating a 17-year-old kid um, that had broken his ankle, and he came in like three weeks post-surgery, like skateboarding, not doing anything that I was saying. And he was, I mean, it was just, it was, he was just like the perfect example of just like, he's going to do fine kind of no matter what I do. I mean, mm-hmm. we could guide him on a few things. And then right after him, there was a person who had not been able to have sex um, for five years. They were married. Um, they wanted to have kids. And I was working, had been working with her for about, she was one of my first patients. I'd been working with her for about three, four months at the time. Mm-hmm. And they came back in, her and her husband came back in and were like, we had, the, we had sex for the first time with only like three out of 10 pain. You've given us hope that we can have a baby. And I was just like, oh my God, like this is to me, that was like, I was almost crying that day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, for me, that, that was a pivotal moment. And like, gosh, I, I need to be with this population. Yeah. Um, and that sort of, I didn't look back from there. I, I went back, I even ramped up the pelvic program even more after that and mm-hmm. just never looked back. Um, and I don't miss, I don't miss ortho because I do ortho every day still. And I feel like that's really the, the blend of what pelvic PT needs to be like is we cannot be so laser focused at the pelvic floor. We mm-hmm. have to look above and beyond, above and below the pelvis and mm-hmm. So we really, I end up being an ortho PT that happens to also do internal exams of the pelvic floor. So that's where it's really blended both of my passions still, mm-hmm. and I'm still helping athletes get back to what they're doing. It's just not about knee pain. Now it's about not having incontinence when they're getting a rebound. So, right. um, yeah, that's so awesome. it's, it's a perfect blend. Yeah. So do you feel like some Pelvic, like this, I'm going to project <laughs> a mm-hmm. little bit. Do you feel like some pelvic PTs are, are, are like, well, there's such a need for pelvic floor PT that I'm only going to focus on the pelvis and their problem. And then it's like just only focusing on the knee pain rather than the hip and ankle and all that stuff. You feel yes. like that's what's happening? Yeah, I feel like that's a big part of it. I feel like part of it is that because we don't get a lot of education about it in school, then you go and you, you're sort of compartmentalizing things, right? You go and you're, you're a PT and you get out of school and then you're like, now I'm going to go into pelvic and all of the pelvic floor courses, most of them anyways, are all pelvic floor centric because that's what you didn't learn. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that really does need to be combined back with every other knowledge piece that you ever learned in with ortho and sometimes neuro and pain science and all this stuff, right? So I think that uh, there's just a bit of a flawed mentorship, clinical mentorship with people that are starting to go into pelvic uh, PT that are just too, oh, biofeedback, I need to mm-hmm. just stick a sensor up there, that kind of a thing. And, and that's really just like so far from where our practice is, is going. And so I feel like that's why one of the big things that I wanted to, to start my own clinic was that I don't want, I want 
to be able to train my own PTs to like do pelvic PT, how I feel like it should be administered, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, And that was really a driving passion to end up leaving my, the place that the second place that I worked into starting my own. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. So you've got, you're three years in business and you've got five physical therapists and how many other people work? Yeah. So five, including me. So we just hired our fourth physical therapist. Um, we're, yeah. And then I have a massage therapist that's about three days a week. And Mm -hmm. we're just currently literally this week training our second front desk person to make sure we have coverage for actually all the hours of the clinic from eight to seven. Cause that used to be still is actually, uh, Jesse and my like responsibility to just still be here the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we have a front desk person already, massage therapist and four PTs. We run mindfulness classes. Uh, we have a little gym area where we do small, small group training. Um, it's really, it's really yeah. exciting, but I cannot awesome. believe it's only been three years. It's, this has like exceeded all of my expectations. We've already had to expand our space. Yeah. Um, when I first started, we just had 1500 square feet and it was just me. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, I just, I have a three room, a three room clinic with this huge open space. Like I, what is going on? And is that a huge mistake? Oh my gosh. Should I have treated somewhere else first? And now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, we've already had to expand. Um, it's been really exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Congratulations. I mean, yeah. That's huge. You know, I think the the thing a lot of people think is that, oh, well, cash-based PT is only like one person. It can't go beyond that one person. And, you know, I mean, you're not the first, you're not the last to add other people. And I just want to make sure, like I point that out, like one, that's awesome that you're doing it. And two, it's probably just something that was, sound like you were just expected or is like natural uh, extension of what you were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, and it's like, you can only treat so many patients, right? So it's like, I can, I feel like I, my reach is expanded with Mm -hmm. the people that I'm training here. And, um, but I will say this is that your, your, because we met like what a few years ago, I think I was just like, what, six months or maybe even a year into practice? I was speaking at the California Physical Therapist Association and you came out for a drink with us. Yeah. And, but at your stuff at the very beginning was so, it was so helpful to just be able to see that someone else has done it. I can do this too. Mm -hmm. Um, it's an, it's going to be okay. Like it, there's a lot of steps that, you know, you had outlined, especially on your cash PT nation, uh, Facebook group and stuff. There's so much information on there. We used that literally like every day, um, to help us like make decisions and decide like, what are we going to do and what should we do about that? And, and that kind of stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, if anybody is like looking to start, like that's where they need to go first, I think, um, just to sort of wrap their head around number one, the amount of work that it is going to take. Cause we're not joking that it's like, it's a lot of work, but it's the best work you'll ever do, you know? Um, but there's a lot of other people doing it and that's like really fun to, to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. It's, it's awesome. And I think that, uh, it just having other people out there knowing, Oh, they're doing this. I want to do that. I'm not like the crazy person in the room for thinking like it can be done. Either. Yeah. And for other people too, it's like, I feel like so proud that I'm creating a job too for, mm-hmm. for p- other people that maybe don't want to start their own place. Cause that's totally fine if you don't want to, but man, as a PT, you certainly 
can choose where you work. Right. Um, and so, you know, we don't, we see people for an hour. Like we don't see more than nine people in a day. Like that's it. Like it's, I feel really proud that I'm able to create jobs the places where I would want to work too, you know? Mm-hmm. When did you decide, um, cause I think when we had met you, you know, I remember we were talking about like, I think you were talking about like what rate you were going to charge or something. Yes. And I was like, go up, you go know, up. like what, uh, like how'd you figure that part out? Like that's not the um, easy thing for most people. It's so hard. You mean how, you mean how did I like, decide did to raise rates or how did I say what my rates are? Raising rates, choosing rates, like. So it was sort of easy for me because the clinic that I was working at in North Orange County, I was moving to South Orange County. So a a decent distance away, but we're still, I mean, I was basically opening a competing practice. Mm -hmm. So I was really adamant at that time that it sort of needed to be exactly the same as where I came from. So that's how I sort of started out. Um, But then I think when I met you, I was at the point where I had like a three to four month waiting list. Mm -hmm. Um, and I can tell you that I had the most anxiety I feel like I've ever had, um, in raising my prices. Like it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. And then it is easy at the same time. It's like, I believe in what I'm doing, but the actual implementation and telling people and seeing their reactions and, and comments and all this stuff, that's what is, is hard, but I did it and we're going to have to do it again pretty soon. And that's okay. So I'm yeah. every single time that we have to do it, we get it gets easier and easier. Um, we so again, we just decided to to start out at 150 because that's what the other person that I left was charging. Mm-hmm. Then we raised rates right, and it was right when I was hiring a second person. So I had a little bit of like, gosh. I'm just hiring a second person. I don't want to have double whammy at the same time, right? Raise rates and have this excess person um, that has all this time on their schedule. So we did only raise to 165. Um, Man, I wish I would have listened to you more and gone higher because once you do it, it's hard to do it right back to back, especially in a a field like us where, because I know that sometimes when you guys raise rates and you're selling packages and stuff, you you get discharged patients Mm -hmm. pretty quickly, but we see people for a really long period of time. So it's, it's a lot harder, in my opinion, to to raise rates on somebody that's already currently coming in and they're going to be coming in for quite a long more time. It's just a little bit different, but we're going to have to do it again and that's okay. And we'll probably, my goal is probably to go up to like 225 and cross that like 200 mark um, Mm -hmm. and and just make a big jump this time because I'd rather make a big jump and not have to do it as often than to make little teeny jumps and, and, you know, have that happen anyways, you know? So, yeah. What was the, that's awesome. That's awesome. What's the, I'm, you're, I'm glad you're thinking in that ballpark because there yeah, man. people we have who, are, who are like, oh, I don't know. It's gonna, I think, I'm thinking $75 and I'm just like, well. What? You know? Well, and for us, it's like, okay, so people are charging that for their ankle. Like, mm-hmm. I think I can charge that if you have vaginal pain, you right. know? Like, <laughs> I think that that's like, not to like put a price on stuff, but like, that's a pretty important area. And I feel like there's, it's, if you have a problem in that area, it's well worth it to get that fixed, right? Well, it's just like, what would, I always compare what's the result I want people to get or people that actually, what's the result people tell me they want. And I compare that to the cost. And if someone's like, well, I can't have sex with my partner for f- five years. Yeah. I'd be worth, that'd be worth a couple thousand dollars. 
Totally. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah. So that's where I feel like um, shifting that mindset though takes time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for me, I've been a little bit slower and, and to have to um, balance like growing as a clinic and the fluctuation of the schedule that way. Right. Cause every mm-hmm. time you add somebody like then it get the patients get dispersed and then you have to increase your marketing and then you get saturated. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so it's like an ebb and flow there. And then you have to, I, I, we try to time it correctly when we raise prices. So we're not raising prices at the same time. We just hired somebody like I did at the, <laughs> at the beginning, mm-hmm. um, because it, it impacts you more, the more people that you have now. So, right. um, so yeah, the- so that's, yeah. What was the reason? Like, did you just hire someone because you were full? I mean, and did you think like, oh, I better hire someone or were you, were you apprehensive about doing that as well? Um, I think I always knew that I wanted a smaller practice. It's one of the reasons why we, I mean, I knew that my goal was at, at five years to be having maxed out the current space. At that time, it was three treatment rooms. So I knew I had wanted to have a couple of other therapists. Um, now my it's shifted a little bit to to think a little even a little bit bigger than that, um, and we'll can talk about that in a second mm-hmm. to where the growth is going. But but I feel like the yeah I was just feeling because I at that point I was running the business and I was treating about fifty patients a week, and people still couldn't get in. And what I felt like though is that my schedule started to impact their care. So I would see somebody and then they couldn't get in for you know, the next week, cause I already had patients scheduling out. And wow. so then I was like, Oh crap. Like now I'm the problem. I either need to stop taking new evaluations or I need to hire somebody else. And mm-hmm. so that was just sort of a natural progression when, when patient, my, the patient care actually started to get affected by my own schedule. Um, that's when I was like, Oh shoot, like I need to fix this fast. Yeah. Um, and then it takes a long time to find a, a pelvic, physical therapist, um, and much less one that isn't just, you know, so like pelvic floor focused, you know? Mm -hmm. So it took us a long time. We, it probably took us like, gosh, like six to eight months to hire our first person. We said no to a lot of people. We still said no to a lot of people, um, where we've, where we really needed to hire somebody. And then we've just, can't, I just can't hire that person. Like that's just not a good fit for the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then we had to ha- hire somebody. So we hired, <laughs> so it was me. Then a year later it was Sharon. Then a, about a year later it was Bonnie. Mm-hmm. And then, and then Amy came right on the heels of Bonnie. And that was a good lesson in, in man, I was freaked out. I almost said no, just be just because we just hired Bonnie. But Amy was so awesome that I was like, I talked to Jesse and I was like, we got to do it. We can't let her go. It's taken so long to find good people. Mm-hmm. And so we hired her right on the heels of someone else, which was like crazy. Talk about that's like the second most anxiety ridden uh, <laughs> time for me when I was like, oh crap, now I'm responsible for three other people's salaries. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh my gosh. And we didn't have the patient volume at that time yeah. to, to justify really hiring her, but I knew that, that we needed to do it. And so that was like a really tough business decision. And then we just freaking put our get foot on the gas with the marketing and she was full in like three months. Wow. Wow. That's so, awesome. 
Yeah. So that was another like, yeah, yikes. What, yeah. Are, we, what are we doing? Are we making that's, a mistake? That's great. So was there like a, for each additional person, was there like a marker where you were like, okay, we need to hire someone or is it because it takes so long to find someone that you're always kind of looking? Um, we're always kind of looking, especially now that we, we did it with Amy. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty confident now that we could make whatever work as long as now it's going to be a space issue. So if it's not right. one thing, it's another, right? So now we actually have a, because we have a private treatment room model um, with pelvic PT, um, we have to make sure that we have like a private treatment room for everybody. Um, so space is going to be our next issue. Um, but, but yeah, we're kind of always, always looking and because we can't let somebody go that is really trained or really, really excited about pelvic PT and really wants to learn mm-hmm. and, um, from us and stuff. So, um, but at the beginning it was definitely like we wanted to be, um, I mean, I think in an ideal world, we would want someone to have like a couple weeks wait list. So like full plus oh, oh, about a two week wait list before mm-hmm. we would really want to like hire somebody. Um, and bring them on full time and, and guarantee that those hours and stuff, um, less than that, then you have to, we work out the deal with somebody to start maybe part time work up three days a week and then move up. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of our guideline, but, but now it's kind of all bets are off with, with how fast we're growing and stuff. That's awesome. So, yeah. Is there, um, has there been any pushback from your therapist for when you raise your rates or what you guys are charging or they just all come in and like, yeah, whatever. Um, no, no pushback really. I feel like I do a pretty good job of, of training them to Mm -hmm. value our service as well. Um, and making sure that that's, and that's actually what we're, one of my jobs right now, as I'm starting to decrease my patient hours a little bit, um, is really creating like that training manual, not just from a policies and procedures manual, but from like a cultural, cultural perspective Mm -hmm. of what do we really want someone that's working here to really believe in? Like if, if, if you are in your personal life asking the question, do you take my insurance? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want you working here. You know, like I feel like there's a, I should be paying you enough so that you can want to, to take our model and use it for ourselves and not, and find great people and pay out of pocket if we need to. Um, and that kind of stuff. So we want people with that same just mindset in general to, mm-hmm. so they're really believing in our service and then the selling and being a part of that is all, they think they're worth it. Heck yeah. They're yeah. telling me to raise the rates, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. Is, is there like a, like, is there a certain like secret to finding the right person for you? Like, is there one thing that if someone else is like, gosh, I got a six month waiting list and I, I already charge enough and I need to hire another pelvic PT. Like, is it, you find someone who's already trained, you train them, or is there something that specific? Yeah. So at the beginning, I thought I wanted somebody with a bunch of experience. Um, and we, I made a mistake in hiring one person, um, that had a ton of experience, but that wasn't willing to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I had to have my fire time. I, so I did let that person go, uh, pretty quick. It took a long time to find her. I thought it was the right decision and then boom, nope, wasn't working. And within like a couple of months, um, I fired. So that was hard. Um, and from that point on, we kind of were, are more in the, um, 
I want somebody that hasn't, I want somebody right out of school, actually, maybe one or two years of experience that really wants to learn that has like an orthopedic mindset and a background, maybe someone like me who wanted to go into ortho and then Mm -hmm. has now been drawn to pelvic for some reason. Um, So I feel, and then we'll, we do the mentorship at our clinic then. So, and then we, that's where we blend um, like the clinical aspect with the cash PT mindset aspect. aspect. Yeah. Awesome. So what is it that makes the, you know, like, not to disparage all the other PTs who have been out a decade or more like we have, no, but no, no. You know, what is it that makes the new grads um, a little bit easier to hire and bring in? I, f- from specifically with pelvic, um, and this might go for ortho as well, I just feel like there's so much misinformation in some of the continuing education courses, mm-hmm. um, or and not maybe misinformation, but just like, a, just a different mindset in how pelvic PT should be should be treated. Um, that I think that it's easier when you're not in, when you don't have all of your habits. You know, I feel like uh, that's one of the reasons why I feel like um, taking a newer newer grad that's really still hungry doesn't know a lot. I mean, we can all remember when we were, I mean, I don't feel like any PT knows anything until about five years out anyways mm-hmm. with, you just haven't seen, you don't, you just don't have enough reps, right? You yeah. just don't, you haven't seen enough types of patterns. Pattern recognition is so huge. Like, I just feel like we can teach that mindset a little bit easier than unlearning some stuff and then reteaching in a different way. So not to say that there's not somebody that we would hire that, you know, has 10 years of experience. I mean, but in my experience so far, um, that just, it's not necessarily where we want to go. I want somebody newer that's like really passionate about number one PT, number two pelvic PT, and then learning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. Like I found the same thing. I had a few people originally who had probably seven to eight, 10 years out. And it's like, well, they've got their way of doing it. And my way of doing it's here. And I want to have a consistent experience. And it's right. more along right. my way. <laughs> and yeah, and we want to, we want to have um, just even the language of how we talk to people mm-hmm. and, and that we were really working on standardizing it to a point because we definitely want individualized. Like I want each individual PT to kind of get their own mojo going. But I also want like an overarching theme of like, if you come to pelvic sanity to get pelvic health care, then this is the, this is how we talk about this. This is what we do here. Um, And then there's individual variants, both from the PT perspective and the patient perspective at different, at different areas of that. So that's awesome. Awesome. And then um, you were saying as you brought people on, you'd go out and do some marketing. What's the number one thing that you did, you know, if it, you know, to market your business? Is it that patients just don't know that you're, you exist and you can help them? Or is it like a, a certain strategy tactic that you always rely on? Yeah. So um, we do a ton of Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, mm-hmm. I think they're a great value for return. Um, we also do, like started to do, well, we had always had a really robust blog. Um, and so just throwing out good patient education it for the masses and then local targeted marketing based on that yeah. um, has really been helpful for us. What we don't do is 
and this is one of my big like things, we do not market to physicians. Mm -hmm. So I let people know that we're here. We send maybe some brochures, a couple cards, maybe a letter, a Christmas card here and there just for touches of like letting them know, hearing our name in the community. But I will not go and have a lunch with somebody and pay for their lunch. Um, I, if, if I'm actually going to talk to a doctor at all, it's going to be, I need a place to refer my patients to. Mm -hmm. And I want to see if you're a good fit for our patients. What is your practice model? Can people email you? What is your, what are your rates? That kind of stuff. Um, So it's more me interviewing them than it is me begging them for, for referrals because that just doesn't work. So we're much more in that patient education um, marketing mindset where Mm -hmm. if we give people valuable information, um, then that will be a trusted place in the community. And, you know, then we can bust them into the clinic. Awesome. Where'd that come from? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's so, awesome. Yeah, well, you could. I mean, shoot, that fits in with exactly what I've been saying. My experience, always right. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, gosh, that's awesome. So, is there anything particular like that you talk about um, when educating your patients, like language you're using? Um, you know, when you're doing, doing some of these ads or posts or blogs, like what, like, what's the thing that you're saying, you know, what's the language, uh, like maybe like just one example. So someone who's listening, is like, yeah, so we have, we do a lot of like, um, we do a lot of education of like making people understand that certain pelvic conditions are common, but not normal. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, we do we do a lot of education with like statistics. Oh, forty six percent of women. I, I don't quote me on the thing right now. Yeah. It's not in front of me, but uh, this is true. Thirty percent of people have pelvic organ prolapse after pregnancy. Um, you, your doctor might not think this is a big deal, but we can help. So mm-hmm. those types of things where you're educating along with um, telling them where they can get help. Um, so there's that. There is. We've done a lot. We just revamped the website actually um, to make it a lot more actionable. So that was one thing where we took a look back. So we kind of took a look at all of the patient experience from the first time somebody's thinking that they have a pelvic problem all the way to like the decision-making process to go through um, to actually click and call our office. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to optimize each step of that system. Um, And so we... Uh, just optimized our website a little bit more for actionable items like click here now. But the language on our website now is much more telling a story of you have this, this, this internal problem, right? You have a pelvic organ prolapse problem. The, the other problem is that you can't play with your kids and then Mm -hmm. what you shouldn't have to do this alone and therefore we can help you. So, um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's a much more creating like a little bit of a story. So someone's reading it being like, that's me. Oh my gosh, that's me. And then like, oh my gosh, these people are awesome. And then call, you know? Yeah. yeah so we've awesome. gotten, we've gotten a huge uptick in the amount of people that are contacting us through our website. Um, based on that, it's actually really cool. We haven't done the create the metrics yet. Cause Jesse um, hasn't nerded out on that quite yet. Um, we've been doing it for about a little less than a month, but at the end of this month, we're going to 
like actually analyze, but we can already see that it's like way more people actually contacting and calling us mm -hmm. when we change the wording on our website. Wow. So, that's so cool. That's super so interesting. Yeah. yeah. Was there, um, was there one thing specific you knew that, all right, I need to like, was there one like place or word or thing that you changed drastically on your website? You know, if we, um, okay. So we, so we talk about patient education marketing, right? We had a ton of information on our website, um, about each of the conditions. But when we were actually going back and looking at it, we're like, gosh, this is super confusing for a patient. Like, are you an informational website? Are you an actual clinic? And so what we did, we actually took out a lot of the actual mm. information on the clinic part of the website. And yeah. we're going to, right now we're deciding what to do with that, right? We still have our SEO is like actually pretty good on some of our blog posts that we link in our website and stuff. So we don't want to get rid of those, but right now we're reworking like where we put those. Mm -hmm. Um, we might actually convert them all to a separate informational website that links back and forth to our clinic website, but we just made it so much cleaner where there's still information, but people don't get lost in, in, in the information piece. They have a lot more streamlined action plan as to like, what do I need to do to fix this problem? Yeah. Um, and so that's been a really, that was actually a really kind of epiphany that we had. And we're like, you know, it's like, if you're not embarrassed by the first thing you do, you, <laughs> you have a problem or, you, you know, and we're just like, how did we ever have our website like this in the first place? Um, but yeah, we, we're just working on like optimizing each aspect mm -hmm. of that too. Um, I've de-emphasized myself quite, quite a bit on the website. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's more of like the pelvic sanity experience, a little bit about the founder. And then I'm actually going to have my own, um, website that's like Nicole Cozin dot com mm -hmm. that ends up telling a lot more about my story because that was on the website but then I was getting a ton of people that were calling only wanting to see me and right. that was a problem um and still actually is kind of a problem but we're working on that mm -hmm. so um so yeah so there's there's a lot of things that I feel like finally like we have clarity on where we need to where we're getting more streamlined and and hopefully that'll even increase our um, actionable, like people that call in and, and increase our numbers even a little bit more. Wow. Um, especially that we just hired our fourth person. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. really cool. And so <clears throat> you've obviously done a lot of writing and about, uh, you know, stuff on your blog and you've got a book. It's what the interstitial cystitis solution. Is that right? Can you tell me yes. about that? Yeah. So we actually, Jesse helped me write that. If I were to, <laughs> I suck at writing. I mean, again, like as a business owner, you just have to like know what you're good at. I know you talk a lot about this, mm -hmm. like know what you're good at, know what you like to do. And then like, just do those things. <laughs> um, but I am not a good writer actually, but I am, I have just so much information in my head. So I, we wrote a book together. Jesse helped me cause he's like the the concise um, person that helps to make it into like a readable thing where people aren't falling asleep. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so we, we actually launched that, that came out in 2016. So we, that was like right at the time when we started this clinic, but that was in the works for like a year and a half before. So I started to write that book before I even knew I was going to open a practice. Okay. Um, so, but it happened to work at, at, at the same time. And that was really cool. We actually get quite a few, um, out of town patients from that. So people from, I think we've seen people from 20 different U S states and I think we're up to 
five continents and a lot of different countries. So um, all, mostly from the book, but also just from an Instagram and stuff like that. Um, we have a pretty robust Instagram clinic page as well as I have my own Instagram profile too. But like, yeah, so the book ended up helping to drive a lot of, I think that remote consultations mm-hmm. um, and, and out of town program packages and stuff that we have. So that's awesome. And do you get a yeah. lot of uh, <clears throat> like inquiries from, so you get a lot of inquiries from people like, Hey, I have this problem and no one here can has helped me with it. And I want yes. you to help me with it. Yes. Yeah. And it's actually one of the interesting things, right? So I wrote the IC solution um, and it, just so that, just to get a little clear. So interstitial cystitis is a bladder pain condition that is really ends up being a pelvic floor hypertone problem that makes you feel like you have to pee. You feel like you have a UTI. So it's like a pretty debilitating um, mm-hmm. condition. Um, I've always treated people pretty successfully with this. So when I was looking online, I was like, why? This seems like doom and gloom. So we wrote a positive practical guide to basically do that. In my book, I talk about getting yourself to a pelvic PT. And that was my main goal. I thought that was going to be enough. And now we get so many um so many uh, people writing us saying, I've read your book. This is amazing, but I can't find a PT in my area, number one, Mm -hmm. or I've been going to them for X amount of time. I converse back with them a little bit about like, what are they doing? And it's like opposite of what should be happening. And so uh, that's like my next like crusade is to like just get a better somehow. That's why I started teaching, uh, continuing education courses, but even then it's like not enough. So I don't know what I'm going to do next exactly yet, but Mm -hmm. it's percolating in my brain to get some sort of mentorship program or something going on for people that are doing pelvic PT, Mm -hmm. um, so that we can help that whole system. (laughs) Yeah. And is, and you, so it's like when you're treating patients and you, like you get into the point where you're like, okay, I see like if I slow down treating patients, I can spend more time helping more people. Totally. I never, I never, ever, ever thought that I would, because I think as PTs, we pride ourselves and as business owners, we pride mm-hmm. ourselves on being able to do the work, right? And I'm in the trenches with you guys and I'm seeing just as many patients as you, if not more, you know, and yeah. I feel like for the first time in my business life, I'm starting to finally see that if I can free up my personal time with not treating as many patients, then I can focus on number one, training my, my gals at the clinic, um, Mm -hmm. even in a more systematic and robust way, but then also be able to do some of these other projects that I feel like might be able to impact even more patients around the world, the the United States more so than I could ever treat, um, in my own clinic, you know? So that's, but that's been, that's been a hard adjustment for me to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like patients. I like treating, I like doing that a lot. So I probably won't ever totally give that up. I mean, never say never, but, but, um, but right now that's like my struggle right now. So I went down from treating like 50 people to 40. Now I'm down to like 30. And then taking that next jump down is is hard for me. So no, I get it. I I had the same thing. And then all of a sudden I was like, like, I'm I'm like 
treating people. I, I could treat people in my sleep and, you know, I'm like not paying attention to what I'm doing, even though like I can do, and I, you know, it's like a second brain to me. It's like, it's right. automatic. I can treat people right. automatic. And I was just focused on how do I multiply myself and help more people. And I was like, I, I got to make this move, even though no one really wants me to, you know? Yeah. So it'll be hard, I think, with the, the patients that are like, so, you know, like Nicole fans, um, but we'll just have to, we'll work with it. It'll be, it'll be okay, you know? And, but ultimately it's going to be for the greater good of like everybody, both the people that I work for and other mm -hmm. patients around that can, yeah, get pelvic PT in a, in a good way. So that's awesome. So tell me like, what's, what's going to happen for you and your business in the next five years? Five years. Gosh, I feel like five-year goals, like we just got just <laughs> the last five year goal I had, I was like, I, I feel like honestly, our business changes like every six months. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of the big things that we sort of got a little, almost caught in, we did, we caught ourselves yeah. is that as we're growing so fast, right. The next logical step, and we were growing out of our space. The next logical step was like, Oh, open a second location. Mm -hmm. And, um, we really pumped the brakes on that quite a bit. Um, even though we know that we could, we really wanted to make sure that if we're going to do that, we should. Mm -hmm. And so Jesse and I got together and, and we actually took a weekend away and really started worked backwards and was like, what do we really want? Like, where are we in our life right now? Um, I know you have kids, Aaron, but like, yeah. uh, we want them. And so I, we have to like, start that process soon. And it's like, do we want to start that process at the same time we're spreading ourselves a little thin, um, at the clinic when this, and then when we did the analysis of, is this clinic running 100% on autopilot mm -hmm. seamlessly with no problems without us being there? And the answer to that frankly was no. Um, and so that's when we didn't really feel confident enough to really want to go open a second location right, right this minute. Um, so in that, I'll tell you our goals in the next three to six months uh -huh. is onboard, um, Brittany, our fourth PT, um, create a true, true, true. Well, we have, um, systems in place of onboarding and stuff, but create a very, very, um, repeatable system for that. Um, and then, and then optimize each one of those steps that we were talking about before. And then in the, after six months, um, sort of see where we're at, mm -hmm. um, and see what we're going to do with that. So, but there are so many other ways to grow our business without operating a second location. Right. Um, so we're looking into potentially doing some at home, um, stuff for, for postpartum moms. Um, we can make some of the, the semi-private classes more, a little bit more robust to get people, um, that are, um, being discharged from physical therapy or ending their physical therapy thing to get, to stay in the, in our clinic sort of funnel. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're really trying to optimize that first before we, before we do anything. Wow. But I mean, That's in five awesome. years, I would love to, I would love to be still at this location, maybe at that time, a second one. Um, but then also really having a good presence in some sort of mentorship program, mm -hmm. 
Um, I don't really know what that looks like yet, but that's sort of been percolating in my mind now that I'm actually doing it with my own people. Yeah. So we'll see yeah. how, what, how that ends up turning out. That's awesome. So is there anything that you get fired up about that I haven't asked you about yet? Like, cause you told me before mm-hmm. the show, I was like, yeah, I get fired up about stuff. I was like, yeah, oh, I get fired up about, get fired up about that we haven't really touched on that you. Yeah. So I get fired up about, um, I get fired up about a lot of stuff. We already talked a little bit about like, I don't feel like pelvic PT is very mm-hmm. like standardized around the whole um, system. But what I really get fired up about is um, our professions hierarchical mindset um about physicians like us needing for physicians permission to do stuff um and i don't give two crafts whether we have direct access or not we still have a a very um we still have such an expertise that doctors don't don't have mm-hmm. um, that I feel like we need to rise to their level and believe that we can offer um, a, an expertise level that mm-hmm. is similar, if not more than 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 theirs. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, I know and, exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's just Preach. like I don't. Get, <laughs> and you know what? I just feel too that like <clears throat> one of the things that I've noticed a lot about about having people come like right out of school is that they're learning that in PT school. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's really frustrating also is that it's like, there's not, nobody talks about, I talk about pelvic physical therapy in, in, in the orthopedic classes at a bunch of PT schools around where I'm from. And I've just blown their mind with the amount of pelvic floor issues that can be in the orthopedic population. Yeah. Right. They're all in it, everything. And the first friggin' question that comes up, or first, one of the first two questions that always comes up is, what do you do about insurance? Do you take insurance at your clinic? And it's like, where's that even coming from? That has to be coming from like the PT schools that are, that are it's almost like teaching to the test, right? You're teaching to the system that you don't want to be a part of anyways. And it's like, what are we doing? So um, that's what we have to like unteach a lot of that when we get here. And then the other thing is, is like, everyone's worried about liability and getting sued. And I'm just like, well, so my sister's an attorney and it's just like, there, there's so many steps before like a patient can like sue you for something. It's like, why is everybody so like worried about this? I don't know. I just, it just, it's a lot of fear. It's fear based. uh, Fear based stuff. Yeah. And it's like, what the hell? So, um, yeah, I just feel like this change. Like how do we change? How do we change? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I'm trying to, I try to put my money where my mouth is a lot of times, right. Where I'm like teaching at PT schools and, um, yeah, but I, I do feel like there needs to be more um, options for students to, to, to go into where they feel like they might want to. Like, they don't know what they don't know. So mm-hmm. I feel like, yes, it's important to get all of the, like, didactic stuff and all of the – and I get it that pe- we can't teach everything in PT school, yeah. but what I do think we should do is teach a lot more about the different avenues of – practice and even like a non-clinical side, there's, um, there's a lot of things that PTs can do. Like we, we pay our PT to do, um, our Instagram page. Like Mm -hmm. that's valuable, 
you know, like there's a lot of, of other things that we can do as PTs that, that require our PT brain, but don't actually require manual on right. service, you know? So, um, there's a lot I think we can do. And yeah. so we I mean, I'm trying to figure out how do we get the mindset shift at the top? So it trickles down rather than just pushing from the you know what that means though is that we've got to be <laughs> at the top like doing that stuff so uh, and then like when are we gonna have the time we're running businesses and right. stuff like that so it's like it's a it's a catch-22 a little bit but I feel like the more things that we do like this though mm-hmm. are good and you know hopefully yeah. um we we just need to we need to figure it out though yeah. because it's like <laughs> it's a, it's you're right but because not all it's not going to be as effective change as if we keep doing it from the bottom yeah. so. i see it it's it's a mindset and it's like oh you're a student okay who do i trust right now it's my clinical instructors and my professors and i come out and like okay i need referrals from physicians i need permission to do this yeah. i'm not 100 sure this is right because i don't have a mri x-ray to tell me otherwise but i've got a clinical right. test that I think I know how to use, but when I do it, it doesn't really make sense because on the other end of it, it's not always valid, you know, it's like, uh, right. It's right. a position to test your labrum. So how would I know what's right. wrong? Right. How do you know? So we rerun into that quite a bit too with, um, so because, right. So we're getting people that are coming to us with a pelvic floor issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go, that probably has been missed. I mean, like endometriosis, like is the average, time to diagnosis is like seven to 10 years. I see gets misdiagnosed like up to six years. So people, it's like, so one of the biggest things that I tease my, my girls about is that the, the instinct is, it's like, if something weird is going on, it's like, Oh, well they, you should refer back to your doctor. And it's like, well, okay. Is there any red flag is, and so you go through the checklist to make sure that you're actually not missing something. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Like that's the same damn physician that missed this for seven years. Like, why are we like so quick to offload responsibility back to the physician when it's a musculoskeletal neuromuscular issue? Like, yes, we need to go through our checklist to make sure that it is, that that it isn't something and that we're doing our due diligence to make sure that, that we don't, you know, miss something big, but like, why are we sending, why is it, why is the first like instinct to be like, oh, we need a doctor to tell us what's wrong. It's like, mm-hmm. we're the musculoskeletal and neuromuscular experts. Like you tell the patient what you think the problem is, Yeah, <laughs> you know? So that's what I feel. Absolutely. Like. Awesome. But that's what we're trying to, to teach here, you know, yeah. at our clinic. And we're trying to teach our patients the same thing. Like that it's okay to be respectfully, respectfully questioning to your mm-hmm. physician because they don't know everything, you know? And neither do we, but like we each can bring in our own expertise. And then with that multidisciplinary type of care, then we can sort of piece together your whole puzzle. But we should be the quarterbacks of that um, because we're the people that are seeing the patients the most often. So, yeah, I I totally get, I totally agree. Like, I wish I had, (laughs) I know, I wish I had the ability to have a conversation here with more physicians locally about what's happening with their patients. But like it doesn't happen and it's un, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, totally. We started having our patients write, um, letters <laughs> yeah. to their patients after. And then we sort of the, 
we try not to be too snarky, but we do do some passive aggressive stuff sometimes when we, if like a patient has come from, if they're seeing a doctor and they should have been referred to us a long time before, I send a, like a little letter that says like, oh, this patient is, you're, we have a mutual patient that's now currently under my care. This is what I found. This is the musculoskeletal problem. Mm-hmm. And please like refer other people like this person in the future. Like, so we yeah. try to do education that way. Who knows if they read it, but it right. makes me feel better. Awesome. That's <laughs> so awesome. Yeah. Is there, before we wrap up, is there anything um, that you think that someone who is getting into pelvic PT or getting into a cash-based pelvic health practice, like what should they know or look out for or do, um, you know, to make, to ensure their success? Um, gosh, I feel like, okay, so first of all, just from a pelvic PT standpoint, if I definitely think that you can, you can start a cash practice with less than five years of experience. That's totally cool. You just need a mentor. Mm -hmm. So, um, both from a clinical aspect and from a business aspect. So however that's pieced together, um, I feel like you just have to reach out to people that have done it before that, um, and that, because at the end of the day, we also have to be able to put our money where our mouth is and get people better um, and help guide their care. So we have to be good clinicians and we also have to be, um, have our business mentors like you guys, like, like you do Aaron and stuff like that. So um, I feel like that's the biggest thing is to know who you need to reach out to um, uh, because you can't do it by yourself. I didn't do it by myself. I'm sure Aaron, you didn't do it by yourself. Um, and so we just need to like, make sure that we, uh, to do that. Um, and really take, we've done a, I think my husband and I have done a really good job of being pretty deliberate with our decision makings and working backwards from what do you want for your own life? Mm -hmm. Um, and are you happy right now? And then work backwards from that. That's really how I came to even start this practice in the first place. Um, I don't think I would have ever been like, oh, I want to start my own practice. But when you work backwards and you're like, what kind of care do you want to provide? What do you want your personal life to be like, either from a money standpoint or just from a happiness standpoint? I don't want to treat more than eight people a day, whatever. Then I feel like if you work backwards from there, sometimes you'll find that underneath some of your maybe fear or apprehension is the actual drive to, to start your own thing. Mm -hmm. And the more people that are doing it, the more it's going to be in the public's mind. And it's just going to become more of a, of a sort of household thing to do is to go to a cash physical therapy based practice, you know? Awesome. Awesome. That's that's what I really think. That's, that's amazing. That's some great, uh, powerful tips and, and insight. So Nicole, uh, if someone wants to reach out to you, um, either find your book, uh, learn more about what you're doing in your clinic or with interstitial cystitis and all that stuff. Where do we, where yeah. do we find you? So our clinic website is pelvicsanity.com. Um, we have Instagram at pelvic sanity, and then I have my own at Nicole Cozine DPT. You feel free to reach out via email. I um, ha- get back to everybody that I can. Um, it's Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, at pelvicsanity.com. Those are probably the best ways. You can DM me on Instagram. You can private message me on Facebook. We have all of those avenues. But awesome. yeah, so we love. I love to hear feedback. I love to ask, answer questions. So um, anybody can reach out. 
Cool. Awesome. That's so great. Um, well, and we'll also post links in our show notes when the, when the podcast uh, comes out. Um, Nicole, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. This has been great. Thanks for spending time with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much, Aaron. I really appreciate it. This is like really cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you're totally crushing it out there in California. So keep on rocking. And uh, this is the Cash PT Lunch Hour with Aaron LeBauer and Nicole Cozine. And I want you to dream big and don't stop until you get to your dreams, you know, or you blow blow them out of the water, you know? All right. Y'all keep working hard and we'll see you on the next show. Hey, what's up? This is Aaron. Real quick, if you're just getting started with a cash practice, then be sure to check out my step-by-step checklist, which will walk you through the whole process. Go to cashptchecklist.com to get your free cash PT checklist, where you'll learn all the essential steps you need to take to get started. It's absolutely free and always will be. Over 5,000 people have already downloaded it, so make sure you don't miss out. And if you're already a business owner, but not generating the revenue you think you deserve or have the time, the freedom that you want, and you would like to grow and scale your business in the shortest amount of time possible, then you may be a great fit for my Cash PT Platinum Mastermind Group. Just head over to cashptmastermind.com where you can get all the details and apply for a free strategy call where you'll get clarity on your vision and a path to getting there.